Two nights ago, I was in bed, sleeping like most people do, and my daughter Raylan, she came in and, and she tapped me on the shoulder, and if you're a parent out there, and you've ever, if you're anyone out there, and you've ever been woken up at 3 a.m., it's one of the worst experiences you can have. Like, you're just so discombobulated. She's tapped me on the shoulder, and she says, Dad, my nose is stuffy. Can you blow my nose? Remind you, she's, she's six years old, okay? She's six. She can blow her own nose. She's been doing it for three years now. But for some reason, she needed my assistance at three in the morning, so I leaned over. Luckily, I had a tissue next to me, and I grabbed the tissue and helped her blow her nose, and she made her way back. And this was already after the previous night having a bad night of sleep. Well, it turns out 10 minutes later, she came in again. She said, it's stuffy again. And I'm like, I can't keep doing this. Raylan, you need to stay in bed. I'm not gonna help you blow your nose. And she came in again. I think I, this might have happened four or five times. And I'm losing my temper. I'm already restless and tired. This was probably over an, over an hour and a half from like three to 4.30 or five in the morning. I'm restless, I'm losing sleep. Finally dozing back off to maybe catch an hour before my alarm goes off. And then I hear blood curdling screams from my kid's room. Uh, they have a little light in the room, and until the light turns blue, no matter if they're awake or not, they have to wait till the light turns blue till they can go in their room and play and be on their tablets in the morning before we wake up and we come out and get them dressed. But this blood-curdling scream comes from their room. I run in there as if someone had fallen off the bed, and, I'm, and I see London, my youngest, and she's crying, she's angry, she's looking at her tablet, and she's trying to tell me, Dad, I can't get back to the, the thing with the thing. And I'm like, I, have, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. And so she's like, I wanna get to this thing. I'm like, I can't understand what you're, I'm furious, I've lost my sleep. Raylan already got me agitated. London's complaining about this. They're screaming at each other. She's saying that Raylan wouldn't help her. I'm, have, I'm done. And I say, you can either watch Netflix Kids or we're done. And then she said, no, I wanna go back to you. And I literally picked her up, took her over to her room, put her in her bed, and I said, London, we are not doing this right now. And she weeps, she's bawling. I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I walk out, I take her tablet, I slam the door, I walk into my room, I throw the tablet on the floor, I get back in bed and I just huff, and I hear her crying from the other room crying and I sit there angry and frustrated and my wife she 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 gets out of the bed and she walks into London's room and she comforts her it's a good thing she did she calmed her down and then they ended up playing in their room for another 15-20 minutes while I got out of bed and I got ready and my wife usually goes into the room. She helped them get dressed. I, I went down and made them breakfast. And I'm in this moment uh, hating reliving it. And the girls came down to eat breakfast before school. And I had to look at London. And I had to say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really disappointed in the way that I acted. And I had this moment of repentance to my four-year-old daughter. And I had to say, that was not the way that I want to act ever. The way I treated you was inappropriate. It wasn't like Jesus. It wasn't who I want to be as a dad. I'm sorry. And as much as I think her four-year-old mind could comprehend, I'm hoping that she forgives me. But I had to 
posture, this posture of repentance for my four-year-old because I operated in a way that was completely inappropriate. And I feel like I struggle. I struggled in that moment. Like I struggle to repent. I struggle to say I'm sorry. And I feel like culturally we do as well. We're not good at it. We're not good at saying, sorry, I, I was wrong. And I, as I was preparing for this, I was like wondering, why don't we? Why don't we say sorry often? Why, we, why don't we have this posture of repentance regularly? Because I think ultimately we have to admit that we're not perfect. We don't always do it right. And I want to be perfect. And I'm not like perfect, perfect in this like I want to be a perfectionist type of way. But I want to be a parent that people look up to. I want to be a husband that honors my wife. I want to be a Christ follower and a pastor where people can be led by and trust. And every time that I make a mistake, that I feel like devalues and discredits my ability to do things well and to lead others to do the same. Pride is a big one. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes proud, too proud to even say that I did wrong. And we don't want to submit to this belief that we are broken and imperfect. And I struggled this. I, I didn't even feel good doing it because I had to look at my four-year-old daughter to say that her dad, who she lo- looks up to and trusts, had done wrong to her in that moment. And it hurts. In Jonah chapter 3, it's, it's just laden through imagery around this idea of repentance. But before we dive into Jonah chapter 3, I want us to to start by looking back at where we've been, uh, starting with Jonah chapter 1. So in Jonah chapter 1, God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. I'm going to have you preach the word to the Ninevites, of, invite them to repent of their wickedness and to follow the God of Israel. So he goes. Nope, he doesn't. He goes the exact other way and goes to this place called Tarshish is where he's headed towards. Gets on a boat, he gets on the boat, and the storm goes crazy. Absolute Crazy. Think of the craziest storm you've been in. It was probably worse than that. And so these sailors that are on the boat are like, bro, what's going on here? And he's like, you know what? I, I was supposed to go this way. The God that I follow asked me to do one thing. I'm not really doing that. So my thought is if you just toss me overboard, the storm's going to calm down. So what do they do? They listen to him, they toss him overboard, and the storm is calmed. Funny thing, these sailors, they actually come to follow the God of Israel because they're like, whoa, something significant happened here. Jonah, at this point, assumes that he's going to end up dying. He's going to drown. But God has another plan. God sends this gigantic fish. It swallows Jonah up. And then we get in Jonah chapter 2, Uh, an opportunity for Jonah to sit inside the belly of a fish and reflect on everything that he's done. And frankly, he gives us a pretty beautiful prayer of adoration, salvation, gratitude, reconciliation, and praise. And it's it's really awesome and beautiful to, to watch and listen to. And then after his three days, three days he spends in the fish of contemplation and prayer, it says that the fish like, physically vomits him out, which sounds like probably the most disgusting thing that could ever be done. But he vomits him out on a dry land. And then we pick up here in Jonah chapter 3. In verse 1, it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. 
Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation that was issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. This is a crazy story for a lot of reasons, and we're going to dive into it. But when I was talking about the theme of repentance, evident here. Three different themes that I think for me are are, are relatively clear. And the first theme that I see is that repentance is marked by obedience. Jonah's repentance really is marked by obedience. And true repentance, if we're honest, obedience is required. Let's say that my kids come in and they wake me up again tonight at 4 a.m. and then 4.15 and then 4.30. And they have another screaming bout at 7 a.m. And I get in there angry and I'm frustrated and I do the same thing I did the other night. And I yell at my daughters and I throw them in their bed and I take their tablet and I slam the door and I get in my bed and I'm frustrated. And then they come down for breakfast again and then I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That's not how I should operate. I should be better next time. And then it happens the next night. And then the same thing happens the next night. And then I find myself doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. It's disobedient almost at that point. I think when we look at obedience and repentance, we have to say something has to change. It's not just saying sorry for our wrongdoings, but it's stepping out in obedience. You see, at the beginning of Jonah chapter 3, it said God came to Jonah a second time, which we could dive into an entire sermon about this. God comes to Jonah a second time, giving him a second chance, a third chance. I mean, he would probably give us 50 chances to be obedient to him. That's the God that we serve and the God that we follow. He comes to Jonah with a second chance, and Jonah chooses to be obedient And I don't really know why Jonah was obedient in this moment. Maybe he had the fear of God. Like, he's like, I know the alternative. The alternative is a wicked hurricane swallowed by a fish. Of course I'm going to be obedient this time. Maybe he starts to experience compassion for the Ninevites and wants them to follow the God of Israel. I don't know if that second one is as true as we're going to see here in a second on on the posture that Jonah walks into. But what we know is that for repentance to be pure, obedience has to be second. 
that you can't continue to repent about the same thing over and over. Something has to change. Now, Jonah's obedience here, I think we can learn from, okay? We can learn from it because it's a little half-baked, if I'm honest. It's not full... I can't say that it's not full obedience. It doesn't say this in Scripture, okay? But we see it in the passage. Jonah walks into Nineveh. We know it's going to take a three days walk. He gets about a day of a walk in, and he gives the shortest sermon ever given, okay? Imagine me showing up here online today and me saying, hey, follow Jesus. And that was it, and all of you started following Jesus. It would be a pastor's greatest gift to know that we had that much spiritual influence on the lost people of the world, and everyone would come to know Jesus. He walks in and literally gives this, he's like, 40 days, things about to go down. That's it. That's all he says. 40 days, and you're going to be overthrown, Nineveh. I'm going to read between the lines a little bit. One, because of who Jonah was, and two, because of who we're going to see him to be next week. I have a feeling that Jonah walks into Nineveh, and Jonah, he, I think he really wants Nineveh to be destroyed. Like, because of their violence, their wickedness, and their evil ways, he's hoping that what is coming to them from God is justified. They should be destroyed. They will never repent. They are a bad nation. That's probably why he avoided them in the first place. And this word overthrown, we see two different times in the Old Testament used a couple different ways. One of them is literally destruction, like Sodom and Gomorrah type of destruction, which is, I, I would imagine, what Jonah is hoping comes to fruition. But in 2 Samuel, we see the word overthrown as well. And this time it means the exact opposite. Or something has turned around or done something differently. I mean, and that's evident in what the Ninevites' response is to this in 40 days. Nineveh will be overthrown, sermonette. Things change. Things change in a big way. And God clearly intervenes, whether it was Jonah trying to give a short sermon so that they wouldn't actually hear the good news. But it's, imagine it's like this. If you have kids, or maybe you remember growing up as a kid and you had a sibling, if my kids are fighting, and they're, they're bickering and they're going at it, and, and I'm just like, Raylan, I need you to say sorry to your sister London. This is what it feels like Jonah's posture is here. It's like Raylan going over to London and her going, Sorry. Like, quicker than a cheetah running after a gazelle. She's, sorry. Nobody, Jonah walks in, 40 days, destruction. Sorry. Ho, like, this insincerity is best in that type of sorry. What I would desire for my daughter to do is to go, London, sorry for hurting your feelings. I didn't mean to do that. And I think we want Jonah to walk in there and go, Nineveh, repent. Leave your wicked ways Follow the God of Israel because he wants to be merciful and compassionate, but you have to leave your lifestyle of wickedness so that you can join me in the God of Israel. It just doesn't feel like that's who he is and what's happening. Repentance is not just an acknowledgement of wrongdoing, but it's an obedience practice that we have to fall into. 
And as we've already seen, the Ninevites do repent. Things change. And that gives us this second theme of repentance, that repentance goes deeper than words. Repentance goes deeper than words. When Jonah's words come to the Ninevites, everything changes. They turn away from their wickedness. They mourn. They grieve. They put on sackcloth. And so that you understand why they put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was like a ceremonial garment that they would wear. And it was to, uh, it was a mourning garment or a submission garment or an adoration garment that you would wear to like say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm broken, I messed up. And like the command goes all the way from the least to the greatest. And then the king of Nineveh hears that he wears sackcloth. They put sackcloth on the animals and they say, we've all done wrong. We want to follow the God of Israel. And they begin to fast. They stop eating. And they just hope. They hope that the God of Israel is compassionate upon them. They don't just say, we're sorry. Their actions change immediately. Repentance, it goes way farther than words. It's actions-based. It's meaningful. It's real. Imagine today... God made it evidently clear to you that you were supposed to go to the Middle East and you're supposed to share with Hamas, the radical militant group in the Gaza Strip that's been the source of a lot of the violence right now between the Palestinians and the Israelites. He sends you and he says, I need you to preach the good news of Jesus, to invite them to repent and stop fighting. This is what this story is like. Like, this is how radical what's happening in the Ninevites is. You would go to the Middle East, you would share this with Hamas, and everyone, including the leader of Hamas, in that moment would stop. And they would say, We trust Jesus. I would love for that to be a real story. I mean, I know God has that power. It's evident in this story. Like, that's how radical this type of action-based repentance is that the Ninevites are living into. Everything changes from this moment, so much so that God says, mercy. I'll give you mercy. I will not strike you down, and I will not destroy you. And he has mercy on them. It's overwhelming to me uh, to see this type of compassion from God for, if we're honest, a group of people who frankly didn't deserve it. The last theme of repentance that I see from Jonah chapter 3 is this. It reminds us that there's, repentance reminds us that there's no place too dark that God will not go. No place. One of the most common phrases that I've heard in ministry in my times of of having conversations with people that don't have an active relationship with Jesus, or maybe they do, actually, I've heard it a lot, is, if you had only known what I've done, if you only knew the things that I've done, and rarely do they divulge to me the things that they've done, and honestly, I'm glad that they, they, they don't. Because I'm human. My grace is broken. 
and my mercy is limited. I'm not as gracious and I'm not as merciful as the God of Israel, the God that sent us Jesus. I'm not. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge and hold things against them. So they don't often share it with me, and I'm glad that they don't, but they often hold their, withhold their repentance even from God. Because maybe they believe that they're unlovable, undeserving of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And if we're honest, they are. But so am I. So are you. We are all undeserving of grace. We're undeserving of grace. We're undeserving of the gift of salvation. We have all sinned. It says this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the next verse is the truth that comes right after that. In Romans 3.24, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Yes, we have sinned. We have fallen short of God's glory. We are <clears throat> frankly, supposed to be separate from him. But God sends Christ Jesus and everything changes. It says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no place that God will not redeem. There's no person who hasn't been covered by the grace of the cross. There's no person who's too far or too broken. From the days of Adam and Eve to the Israelites to the Ninevites to now, God has been trying to redeem his creation back to him. He's trying to restore the broken relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. We are broken, imperfect sinners, but we have been washed by the grace of Jesus. To those that have not yet put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what's holding you back? You have a God that has freed you from sin, who is merciful and gracious and wants a right and perfect relationship with you, a God that is ready right now to offer you hope. Let me read these words from Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. You don't have to go on sinning, wandering like a sheep without a shepherd. You can trust him. You can, you can say, God, I want a perfect and right relationship with you. I want to believe that what you accomplished on the cross was for me. And Peter, he gives this invitation in Acts 2, verse 38, to all of those seeking after the person of Jesus. He says, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And everything changes. If you want to make that decision today, if you want to invite the right relationship with Jesus, if you want to trust him as Lord and Savior, you can do that today. If 
if I'm talking to you right now, like if you and I are having a conversation, you're like, yes, I want it. I want to be freed from my sin. I want to repent of my brokenness and I want to receive the gift of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Do me a favor right now. You're going to see an email come up on the screen. Theo is our digital pastor, theo at restorecc.org. We want to celebrate this with you. We don't want you to go on this journey with Jesus alone. We want to celebrate your ability to join us in the family. We want to walk it out in the baptism with you. We do want to celebrate what God has been doing and has been doing since the beginning. I can't wait for you to join me for us to link arms when it says, I'm not going to go on sinning anymore but I'm going to receive the gift that is Jesus. But for those like myself who have already put their faith and trust in Jesus, repentance is necessary. It is a disgrace to the cross when we choose not to repent. Our Savior hung there and said, I'm going to write the relationship between you and the Father. I'm going to wear the sin. The ultimate pain was probably not the nails in his hands, but the weight that he felt when all the sins that will ever be committed and were ever committed were cast upon him as our perfect and right sacrifice so that we could have a right relationship with the Father. And when I choose not, as someone who is so ashamed regularly by the sin of lust, the sin of greed, the sin of selfishness, when I choose not to repent and offer that to Jesus, it is a disgrace to the cross. Because he's sitting there waiting, saying, I want the grace to cover you. Be free from it. Be healed from it. Operate. Live differently. Be obedient. Show me that you want to follow me. Everything changes because of Jesus. We have one of two responsibilities. That's to go on sinning no more and trust him as Lord and Savior and repent. And for us as Christ followers to repent of our brokenness and say, God, I want to live differently so that we can be more transformed into the character of Christ.